I think also to to commit and be positive. Yes. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I was a lawyer. I can remember how risk averse I was and um, uh, how keen to kind of do things the way that they've been done. I, and I know that continues to be lots of pressure on that within law firms. But I think, you know, people just need to go out on a limb and be brave and use that as an opportunity to you know, change the way their transactions are being run. Welcome to The Wired Wick, demystifying tech law trends and educating about law in tomorrow's society. Hello and welcome back to The Wired Wick. My name is Annabelle Pemberton and today I'm joined by Dan Grant-Smith, who is the Head of Engagements at Legatix. Here, he has used his knowledge after working as an associate at Hogan Lovells for five years in the private equity and M&A team. And today he works with law firms and their clients to improve transaction management, overcome adoption barriers and engage with the wider industry to raise awareness and affect change. Dan has also contributed to publications such as The Legal Technologist, where he shared his research on the implementation and practical adoption of legal tech tools at law firms. Dan, thank you for joining me today on The Wired Wig. It's my pleasure. Fantastic. So just to start off, what interests you about law and technology and how did you get into the space? I guess to, to give some context to the first part of the question, I will uh, answer the second <laughs> first. Um, so my first job out of uni was a lawyer. I, I trained at Hogan Lovells, as you said, uh, qualified into the corporate team, specialising, and as you said, kind of into private M&A and private equity. Um, and I, I really liked it. You know, I really enjoyed my time there. I'm still close to a lot of people from, from Hogan Lovells. Um, and there were elements of the role that I found really fascinating. You, know, um, you kind of shut yourself down to prepare the first cut of you know, a really massive agreement, like a shareholders agreement, that the negotiation, the, the camaraderie of, of working on deals, um, I think is, is all really attractive and all stuff I really enjoyed. But I, I found myself, I guess, just becoming more and more frustrated with certain elements of the work. Felt like there were uh, quite a lot of highly administrative manual processes that occupied just quite a large amount of my time, but added very little value to the client. And I also kind of allied to that felt quite removed from the kind of exciting strategic decisions that mm-hmm. had kind of made the transaction start in the first place. And I just wanted to be doing something a little bit more tangible. So I kind of wanted to try and move into something more commercial. And then kind of at the same time as all that, um, I've been really interested in legal tech. So I, I sat with a cross-departmental tech group at, at Hogan Levels. Um, I trialed some early legal tech software the firm then went on to use uh, and I just generally thought there was kind of a, a huge amount of potential there. And I, th- I thought that, you know, some of the stuff that I found frustrating about the work that I was doing could be could be solved by the use of technology. So I kind of followed both of those things. I ended up um, doing an MBA uh, at, at Judge Business School, um, leaving Hogan Lovells. And uh, I looked at kind of a range of, of, of industries, but I always just felt like legal tech made the most sense to me um, and kind of gave me an opportunity to continue working with the technology products that, that I've really enjoyed at Hogan Levels, but then also kind of focus on some of the issues that, that I was having when I was an associate. And Legatix just felt like a, a really good way to do that. It was, um, you know, kind of the pain points it solved over administration and the painful communications that, that happen on deals with things that I felt very keenly when I was practicing. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you find that shift from private practice to then working in a legal tech company? 
I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think the, the pace is very different. You mm-hmm. kind of consistently busy. In M&A, your days kind of tend to ebb and flow with the transactions. So you, you might have a very quiet first four to five hours or something, and then an email lands and that's, you know, your day and evening completely ruined. Whereas at Legatics, it's just more like there's just consistently loads to do on my to-do list and you just kind of come to terms with the fact that you're not going to be able to get through it every day. So it's just kind of like a constant level of busyness, uh, which is good. Uh, I enjoy it. I guess things are also more agile. Like we're quite small and the team's quite small. Uh, like the engagement function itself is quite small. So we can make decisions quite fast. I guess it's noticeable when things like um, kind of process improvement and, and performance. Like we'll, we'll have quite frequent plenary sessions where we review what's happened over the last say three months or four months and work out what we think went well and what we think um, could be improved and then try and action that. So it means kind of you can just incrementally improve a lot, which is really exciting. It means kind of you're always tweaking and refining your processes. Whereas in a law firm where, you know, they're massive and everything needs to go through different stages of um, approval, it's, it's kind of harder to work like that. I think also it's uh, it's really fun. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, you get, I'm sure you feel this, uh, but you just get a lot more control of the culture. So, um, you know, the team is smaller, so your input is, is bigger. Um, it's less hierarchical. Uh, and you can make make more bad jokes in group meetings. <laughs> and I, uh, I never got the opportunity to do, well, I did, but not as much as I can now. Yes, absolutely. Because this is the thing in, in a startup atmosphere, you're juggling a lot, a lot of exactly. the time, but it's, a really interesting skill to learn because then you can focus on a lot of things and and get experience in a lot of things and there's that overall fun around it as well for sure and, and you get the sense of you know you kind of bought into building something tangible and mm. you feel like you're kind of contributing to the growth of something that um, you can kind of see the direct impact of which is also really exciting yes absolutely so to talk more about legatics what what is the tool and what problem are you specifically looking to solve sure so we are a transaction management platform that tends to simplify and automate traditional legal processes where the business team is, is full of ex-lawyers and the tool was designed to kind of improve legacy working methods and, and, and solve practical issues that, that lawyers actually face. To give you kind of like a, a, a sense of it, one of my favorite definitions that, that we've had was provided by one of our users um, mm-hmm. of kind of what the platform does. And basically, you know, lawyers are dependent on lists, project managers and organize their processes. Typically, these lists will be in words or in Excel um, and kind of supported by countless emails and phone calls. Um, and it means that this process can get can get really difficult to manage. Um, it's one I've done on both the corporate and the finance side. I've managed the CP process and the conditions precedent satisfaction process through a word table, but I've also managed kind of the completion process um, on, a, on a corporate deal. So getting um, everything up to the transfer of um, the asset being bought. I've also managed that through a word table. Mm-hmm. And essentially what Legatics allows you to do is just to manage those transactions more easily by creating digital versions of those lists. Whereas previously, uh, you know, you'd have to amend your word list to take account of anything that changes in the transaction, to, you know, put in comments from different parties, to highlight responsibility on, on Legatics. You can just all collaborate, all parties can access it. Documents can be uploaded, comments can be left. And you get sitting above those digital lists, uh, kind of an overview screen, which gives you a visual representation of the status of that particular process. Um, so you can see how far complete the different elements are, um, what's still outstanding, and then what parties need to push the, the, the process forward. Essentially just makes it you know, more collaborative, more efficient, and more transparent, and removes a lot of that 
manual pain and version issues and email drowning that you get on a mm-hmm. digital transaction. I have several questions. So there's one area I just don't understand because I've never really practiced this type type of law. For sure. So if you just think of very simple financing, the bank is lending money to the borrower and that is being controlled by a finance agreement. Mm -hmm. And within that finance agreement, there'll be a number of conditions that need to be satisfied in Mm -hmm. order for the borrower to get access to the money. Lawyers would manage that process. And I mean, the uh, example I gave is very simple, but these the conditions can number hundreds and hundreds. Typically, you'd have to manage all those conditions just basically in a word table. So, you know, one condition might be the um, provision of constitutional documents um, of your of your company. Um, and there can be hundreds of those other things. And normally, a lawyer will have to take that word document, put every condition within it, and then kind of track how those things are being satisfied. So by email, um, by phone call, um, by kind of sending around updated versions of the list. And it just requires a lot of sort of checking in. Um, there can be um, you know, mistakes made if, if you yeah. lose a particular document because you, know, you don't know whether the thing that you've sent is the right version. And it just becomes very difficult to manage. And from a kind of sort of client experience, it, it's not ideal because you're sending these document with pages and pages and pages of rows on it and it can be quite hard to, to track exactly what what needs to be done um in order to kind of finalize the conditions and you know release the funds um on, on the gatics all of that kind of those items are just included in a digital list so there's like a, a more granular view of it so you can see all of the rows set out and then if there's a document that needs to be uploaded to satisfy a condition you can mm-hmm. upload it directly into that row um and there'll be a corresponding status that can then be satisfied. Um, But equally, you can also just get kind of an overarching view of the entire progress of the list. So from from one status to to another. And that just means that, you know, if you've got your client and they're trying to work out how many conditions are outstanding in order to to finalize the um, the release of the funds, they can just log on and, and look immediately to see because there'll be a status bar that says, there are three out of 300 left. And it will say also below it, who's responsible for the provision of um, those particular elements. Um, so that's kind of what it boils down to. It's just allowing lawyers to, to manage their processes more easily without having to kind of rely on tools like Word, which which aren't mm, yes. best practice for, for that kind of thing. Fantastic. Sure. Okay. So in terms of your role in the engagement function, what do you do? I manage our relationships with our existing customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, this means um, I, we take them on from the point of signing on. So we have to take them on from the, the sales team. Um, and then we frame and um, try to understand what they want from the initial rollout of the software. So um, we kind of own the, the initial onboarding part, um, but then we also um, help with the kind of broader rollout and the, the kind of spread of use of the platform throughout the customer. The key part of what we do is making sure that we try and um, understand as much as possible what the customer is hoping to get from the use of Legatics and just working with them to make sure that they can they can get that and also that they're, they're getting the most value that they can. So they're exploring all the possible use cases um, that, that, that might be relevant. All the relevant teams have been trained. We really just kind of try and understand exactly what it is that they want. Separately, we also manage um, kind of linked to the same thing. We've got uh, funding from Innovate UK to look specifically at attitudes to, to legal technology adoption. Um, and one part of that funding is to look at behavior change 
Um, so we run workshops with law firms, but we kind of look at um, attitudes to adoption and, and try and understand what the um, the overriding feeling within a department is um, about legal technology, um, mm-hmm. and then use that as a, a basis to prepare a report um, that we share with the law firms so they can kind of get a sense of there are any barriers to, to adoption. Um, and the two things actually end up working really well um, because we get to kind of get sort of constant feedback and data about just generally attitudes to legal technology and um, any barriers that people are seeing to adoption. And then that feeds into kind of the conversations that we have with new customers about how we um, can recommend that they roll out and things that they should they should watch for just to make sure that um, they're getting the, the maximum amount of usage um, and adoption is kind of increasing as, as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And how do you respond to lawyers who are maybe against the value of legal technology? I guess, you know, you just have to always make sure that you're approaching it from their perspective. Mm -hmm. So if they don't see the value, I would just try and work out kind of why that is and then try and step back from that point and kind of show that there is there is value. Because I think you know, we're confident that there is value for this, um, for using this software um, for lawyers. Uh, so it, if there is a kind of issue with it, um, normally it's because you know, it might not have been communicated properly or they might have a preconception about things that can be done or they might not fully understand some of the elements of it or you know, they might not have enough time to properly commit to it or they might be you know, nervous about risk or about upsetting um, a more senior member of the team or... They, Lots of reasons could exist, but um, I think if you kind of take the, their perspective first and then try and understand why it is that they're resistant and then kind of work back from there and really push the value and um, show them how it can have a kind of practical effect on the work they're doing, it tends to be successful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, definitely. And you've already spoken about several different features that the tool has so far, but what is your main USP that really makes you stand out from other legal technology tools who do a similar thing to Legatics? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the, the key things is that um, it's a product that's genuinely been built to reflect actual working methods on, on legal matters. And that kind of, that focus on um, the user, be it a lawyer or a business support team and, and how they actually conduct their transactions um, kind of feeds into just a, a large number of, of features um, that, users tend to find kind of intuitively mirror the things they want from tech when they're running their transactions. Things like from a kind of product perspective, you know, we talked about the overview screen um, before, so you can see kind of the live status of the processes that you're running. That's like a really powerful feature that means people don't have to go through um, pages and pages of of, of different elements to to get an update. The um, access that we have um, so you can really affect the different access levels of different parties on on the platform which means that you know if you have a deal with large numbers of parties um, each of those those parties to the to the deal might not need to have the same level of access to the platform mm-hmm. and yeah. so you can kind of restrict it on a, on a more granular basis uh, we also allow for so when you're preparing those word lists we talked about previously when using to, to manage your processes they'll come from an underlying agreement so in that example, we used previously the loan agreement that will have a, a schedule to it, which will set out all those conditions that were needed to get access to the, to the money. Normally, you'd have to kind of copy and paste each of those individual conditions into a word list. You'd have to create the words yourself. One thing the tool will let you do is just automatically import that across. So if you copy and paste the schedule, then it will build out the list for you. Um, so that, again, it takes a lot of time away and kind of 
focuses on the things that the words are looking to produce. We've got a signing and completion tool. And so you can manage not only the, the process, but you can also take it on um, and manage the uh, signing element. And uh, recently we've got an integration with DocuSign. So it's another, you know, incredibly popular um, legal tech tool, but um, it means that we can also look at the kind of electric signature process um, and really try and help out in as many of the, the parts of a transaction as possible. So not maybe just the organization of the process itself, but also looking at the, the end of transactions um, and, the, and the signing. of them. Yes, absolutely. And, and in terms of the future growth of, of Legatics, what's in the pipeline? We're going to try and continue to push into to different sectors. The the tool is kind of like a, a collection of um, of lists and digital digital lists. You know, previously we started as a finance tool, so that's the kind of CP list that we we're talking about before. But I think really, you know, lawyers use lists to manage loads of different processes, um, both in corporate but also in kind of other departments like um, competition and regulatory, uh, even litigation. And I think we want to try and look into those departments and see how legatics can help. I think that's one of the most exciting parts of my job is to kind of see how if you give uh, a law firm a tool like legatics, just to see how they develop it out and see what use cases that they can come up with. We're seeing really, really interesting ones develop all the time within departments that, you know, originally we wouldn't perhaps seen a, a use for legatics. So I think a big part of our future growth is to kind of allow this to continue to try and learn as much as we can from those kind of um, edge use cases and, and use cases that uh, you know, are in other departments um, and then try and use that to empower our users to kind of explore those, those use cases further. Um, but while still retaining, you know, all the, the stuff that people like about legatics and like the kind of use and the flexibility I think that's one side of it. I think another side is, you know, we're um, really proud of kind of our um, approach to adoption. So some of the stuff I've, I've, I've touched on before and mm-hmm. our um, kind of willingness to, to um, kind of collaborate with our with our users um, and also kind of from our customer success team, their, their willingness to kind of talk to users um, and really learn from them. And I think we just kind of want to, to continue that process. Um, so try and um, continue working on adoption to try and continue working on um pushing legal tech out into to people who might be unwilling to use it and use that as a way to, to grow the platform too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And you briefly mentioned your customer success team. So are, are you using metrics like NPS and metrics that you typically see in uh, technology startups, for example? Yeah. So it's interesting you say it. it's, a, it's a, a, a big avenue that we're looking at in a lot of detail, um, our okay. customer success team. Want to drive as much data as possible, um, and NPS is absolutely something that, that we're looking at doing. And um, that's kind of in the early stages of being able to get that out and get that kind of information from our customers, but also kind of um, a whole host of other of other metrics. And um, so, uh, looking at kind of platform specific metrics, um, kind of like number of matters opened and things like that, but also, you know, other things like time spent on the platform and mm. frequency of logins and um, anything that will give us a good sense of the way people are using our um, our platform, um, and that also might be you know, useful to our customers that um, we can start packaging up and, and sending them. Fantastic. That's great. So just to give some context about how Dan and I know each other, we both met each other at the Legal Geek conference, and we were also in the same chat around education, around legal technology. And I know Dan has already been published around this in The Legal Technologist. So how do you think the legal industry stands in the adoption of legal technology? I think um, if you talk to anyone in the ecosystem, they would recognize that the legal industry has a way to go still before you know, legal technology is adopted at scale 
um, and seen as, as business as usual for, for you know a significant number of lawyers. Mm. I think there's a lot of really exciting innovation and a lot of really interesting things being done at firms. Um, so you know applied legal services where um, solutions are being given to clients of law firms through a, a blend of both um, law and tech. Um, law firms using using data. To, to provide greater insights to clients, the use of some tools to, to provide efficiency gains. Um, but I think we're still very much in, in the foothills, I think, you know, both in terms of, of usage and adoption and also kind of the development of tech and use cases. I think um, it's a really exciting period. I think you can see that companies that are springing up with new use cases, new tools is, is massive. And I think you're seeing a lot of interest from law firms um, for, for kind of both picking up these tools, but also thinking about things that they can they can make in-house and just thinking generally um, about the practice of law as, as not just kind of a, a specific professional service, but something that can be blended with tech and that tech can be um, used to improve. If that trajectory continues, I think we will start seeing um, technology being, being used at scale. I, I think also the present situation with, with COVID has had a big impact on digital transformation. So I think a lot of the stuff I just, I just mentioned, so like trend towards um, greater technology adoption and, and lawyers um, relying more on technology solutions for the for the practice of their day-to-day job, I think is, is being expedited. I think certainly from my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of new conversations started that, that hadn't been before and a lot of interest from people who perhaps previously had been a bit reluctant to, to look at technological solutions to things. I think basically, you know, if you're, a, if you're a senior partner and you've had to get to grips with Zoom and you've had to get to grips with a, another piece of legacy software just to be able to work effectively from home, I think you've then, the dam has burst and people are just willing to kind of look at more and more things. I think um, it's certainly something that we've seen. And in terms of those who are still struggling with the adoption of legal technology, do you have any steps that firms or lawyers themselves could take to improve their adoption of legal technology? Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing is kind of focus on use cases um, and kind of pain points that lawyers actually face. So listen to your lawyers, listen to the users within your firm and understand uh, what it is that they want from technology and then um, use that as a starting point to um, bring solutions or integrate technology that will actually be able to solve those issues um, mm-hmm. that's one, rather than just kind of throwing tech at, at lawyers and expecting them to use it um, without perhaps there being a use case. Second, I, I remove friction. So I think there are so many things that can get in the way of a lawyer wanting to use technology, you know, be it time, be it kind of um, preconceptions that I think internally it can help to remove as many unnecessary hurdles as possible, you know, unnecessary processes to get access, um, things like that. I think just want people, if they want to use it, just to be able to basically as quickly as possible pick it up and use it. And also to provide you know, proper training and incentives to, to, to allow them to do so. I think also uh, support from a dedicated team within a firm is, is really powerful. Um, so, you know, a team who own uh, relevant technology and who, I guess, have the capability and the discretion to, to make decisions about how it should be used. Um, I've seen that as a, um, really effective in, in some of the customers we've had who've, who've really supercharged uh, their adoption. I think also to, to commit and be positive. Yes. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I was a lawyer. I can remember how risk-averse I was and um, uh, how keen to kind of do things the way that they've been done. I, and I know that this, you know, continues to be lots of pressure 
on that within law firms. But I think, you know, people just need to go out on a limb and be brave and decide that they're going to commit to trial um, and uh, use that as an opportunity to, to um, you know, change the way their transactions are being run. Um, I think also kind of allied to that, uh, to highlight your champions. So you do have those people who are kind of keen to commit, um, to recognize them, to have them share their stories, mm-hmm. to get kind of war stories spread throughout a firm so people can see like there is exciting use cases developing and yeah. um, you know, their colleagues are using it. And then I guess finally, uh, measure. So I think it's all well and good having these stories and having kind of anecdotal evidence of, of things being successful, but you also need a system in place so you can you can show kind of the value that's being provided, um, whether that's kind of uh, like really quantitative. So you're looking at um, the efficiency gains that you've realized or whether it's a way of kind of getting all the you know good feedback and presenting it in a way that's um, easily digestible. I think you need some way of showing like this has been successful. Mm-hmm. Here is why. Here is how it's been done. You should all use it. Yes. Yeah. No, you can you're, you're golden. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in terms of future lawyers and law students at the moment who in the future will be trainees, how do you see the future of education around law and technology? How are we going to equip our future cohort of lawyers? I guess I think the, the teaching of law needs to become more blended with the use of technology. So there just kind of needs to be a recognition that the future practice of law is, is going to include technology within it particularly vocational elements like the GDL and LPC. Um, I think you need specific elements of those courses which completely focus on technological elements. Um, I think, you know, there are examples like um, Swansea has got uh, an MA course in legal tech, legal mm-hmm. tech them. Uh, if you look at Stanford and Codex, um, they're really far ahead in terms of um, kind of teaching law, both as the, you know, black letter practice of it, but also kind of these technological advancements. And I think that will allow us to produce lawyers who are kind of more, you know, holistically blended and able to look at um, both the the practice, but also the the technological elements of it. Um, And I think, you know, that should also extend not just to legal tech, but also to simple things like, you know, just best practice ways of using Word and Excel and Outlook. When I joined Hogan Lovells, you know, I had absolutely no idea how to use Excel and, you know, I'd, I'd use Word um, to write essays, but then to use it as like a way of tracking thing like tables, I'd never used it like that. So there are mm-hmm. loads of tips and tricks, I think, that, that I could have um, made use of. You know, in Outlook, there's a lot of you know, ability to create large numbers of emails at once and to include automations. And I think just having a lot of skill in, in those areas when you start would make a massive difference to, to how you're able to practice as a lawyer. So I think both blending the more kind of advanced and um, exciting technological advancements is is important, but also making sure that those legacy tools that people are going to be using and, and still will be using, um, you know, for years, making sure that the use of those is, is uh, as good as possible. That's an excellent point. And no one really talks about that, actually, <laughs> to yeah. look at the basic tools like Word. And I nearly said Sheets, I mean Excel, um, <laughs> of actually using them because we forget <laughs> for sure and there's so much value you can you can get from just knowing how to use those things properly yes no definitely so in addition to this advice do, do you have any other advice for law students who would be interested in getting into law and technology or actually looking to shake up the industry in terms of using technology to improve processes sure i think firstly just talk to as many people as you can 
So mm -hmm. try and hear as many interesting viewpoints as possible. Uh, you'll you'll learn a huge amount, um, and you know you never know when those connections you make will come in useful. Um, I mean, case in point, we were thrown together at Legal Geek, uh, and that's led to this podcast. I think it it's just you know if you take all those opportunities and you try and talk to as many people as possible, things will inevitably develop from there. Secondly, I, I would take advantage of uh, all the great resources that are springing up. So podcasts like this, you know, legal geek events, just take any opportunity you can to learn as much about the industry as possible. Um, and also just kind of find out the things that, that you think are most exciting about it and really develop your own um, perspective on it. I think don't be afraid to, to fail or look stupid, you know, um, mistakes are how you learn. So just go for things. And if they don't work, dust yourself off and try another thing. I've definitely failed at loads of stuff and have ended up looking stupid loads of times. It happens and that's how you learn, right? I think focus on solutions to problems that actually exist. So if you are looking to, to shake up the industry and um, come up with your own uh, tool or, or technology, as I've said a couple of times in this before, be led by the person and the way they work and um, the use case that they're actually dealing with and then build from there rather than, I guess, focusing on just the latest piece of cool technology and then trying to fit people into it. And I think you have a lot better luck with adoption and usage if you focus on the person first. Um, and then finally, uh, don't be phased by people posting stuff on social media. <laughs> everyone, <Yes. laughs> everyone moves at different speeds. And yeah, it's no indication as to where you'll end up or where they'll end up. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And social media is just a glimpse of people's lives. Oops. Exactly. And an inaccurate one. Yes, very true. Dan, thank you for joining me today on The Wide Week and for sharing your insights into legatics as well as the future education around law and technology. It was my pleasure, Annabelle. I'm Annabelle Pemberton and you have just listened to the Wide Wig podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. As always, if you liked what you just heard, be sure to follow this account on Spotify and follow The Wired Wig on Instagram for the latest tech law news and updates.